0: Greetings and welcome to the latest episode of Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. We are a community-based podcast and radio show in which people of Santa Ana, California, tell us in their own words about the music that means the most to them. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, your program host and director of this project. The project is based on my conviction that we people in the modern urban world need to learn to listen to one another, and that music, and all it brings us, is the perfect place to begin. My name is David Castaneda, music researcher here for the Si Yo Fuera
1: Una Canción podcast. I'm so happy to be a part of this project, using my scholarly training and my performance experience to bring you the stories, music, and lived experiences of those living right here in Santa Ana.
0: If you are out and about on Santa Ana streets for any length of time, you will likely see a small, solid, elegant gentleman. Not young, but hale and hearty. Passing you by on his bicycle. That is Apolonio Cortes, whom we were lucky enough to persuade to get off his bike and spend the time with me to record today's episode. Don Apolonio is a tireless worker on behalf of others, and in today's episode he shares with us some of the personal philosophy that drives his altruism. Shortly before we recorded the interview, Apolonio and I realized that we were born in the same year. That realization led him, evidently, toward the end of the interview, to make some vivid pronouncements about what it means and does not mean to get old. I'm still trying to catch up with him on this one. This reenacted version in English was recorded with the voice actor Wesley McClintock. Well, welcome, Don Apolonio. I'm very excited to have you here for an interview this morning. Perhaps we can just begin by having you introduce yourself to the audience, to, to those who will be listening to the show.
2: All right. My name is Apolonio Cortez. Sanchez, my mother's last name.
0: And how did you come to live in Santa Ana? How long have you been here?
2: Well, I've been here in Santa Ana for a little over 20 years, and I came here out of necessity. I thought I would just be here a short time, but that time has certainly extended. I've been here longer than I expected to be. Uh-huh. I, I figured I'd be here for a maximum of two years. I was planning to go back sooner.
0: And... Which part of Mexico are you from?
2: I'm from Guerrero State, the mountain region. They say it's the heart of the mountain, but to be precise, I'm from Zapotitlan Tablas, Guerrero.
0: Yes, and was this the first time you came to the United States, or...?
2: It was actually the second time. It was the first time I came to Los Angeles. Was to Los Angeles in 93 to find work. Or really, to put together a bit of money because I wanted to start a business back there. Uh Uh-huh, In Guerrero, with my family. And, well, in Los Angeles, in 93, I couldn't find work, so I had to go to the state of Maryland. And I did find work there. And I was able to put a little money together. It looked like I had saved enough for what I needed to make a start. Good. But I wasn't counting on an unexpected event. Just one day before I was going to take, to board a plane to go back, my kid's mother was hospitalized. And I was barely, barely able to pay for it to cover the cost of her operation.
0: Oh.
2: And I think it was a shame on my part, like a sin after having been there for the first time because that was when I realized the fact that working here in the United States and one day of work, you can earn enough to eat well for a week here in the United States.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) And in Mexico, you practically work a whole week to be able to eat for one day. I mean, there's a world of difference. And I think that's why I had to come back. Because honestly, I hadn't had the intention of coming back. And well, it's that I had to come back, and here I am again, still.
0: And your profession in Mexico. Have you been able to continue with the same job, or have you had to work in other fields?
2: Well, so I'm a karate instructor. I graduated in 84, at the end of 84. And of course, I began to work in that area, as an instructor, I even went to Guerrero State to open a school in Mecca, and in various places, Chimalhuacan in Mexico State. There are various schools, and well, I was there more or less, not very established, but I was there more or less. The thing that, for some reason, I never had a fixed location, that was my problem.
0: Mm, yeah.
2: So I had to set that business aside somewhat, and I had to go to Acapulco, where I studied a bit of photography. And well, that's what I focused on. I earned a bit. A bit of capital, and I acquired a small piece of land there. But almost right after that, things began to get difficult. And I returned to Guerrero and practically right away I thought, all right, I've got to do something. So I guess I decided to come back to the States in 1990. And at the end of 92, almost 93, I came here. I lived in the city of Baltimore to be exact. That was where I heard various people say, Santana, the people from Santa Ana get a lot done. And honestly, When I only went to Los Angeles, I didn't know anything. I was like, Santa Ana, where could that be?
0: (laughs) So you had to go all the way to Baltimore to hear about Santa Ana?
2: Yes, that's right. (laughs)
0: It's ironic, right?
2: Yes. And they were saying, no, because Santa Ana is really lovely and who knows what. And so the second time I came, I arrived in the city of Huntington Beach. But from there, I began to shift to Santa Ana. The regular work was always here in Santa Ana, and so after a short time, I moved here.
0: Okay, and you've been here, you said two decades, effectively.
2: Well, yes, uh, but I was also in the state of North Carolina for two years and a bit. Uh Uh-huh. I was there for practically two years.
0: Okay, and so among the various places you've lived in the United States, what does Santa Ana have to offer, apart from, well... uh, I do imagine the job market here is a bit more open, we, we could say. But what does Santana have to offer as a place to settle down?
2: Well, honestly, I'm going to compare it a bit with North Carolina. First of all, in truth, North Carolina has the advantage that, I don't know, but for me, a lot of the people have dark skin in the part where I was, Greensboro County, which felt familiar to me. And then people are very friendly. Even if they don't know you, they say hello. I mean, I don't know. To me, the people are very, very, very small town. I'd say, or at least for me, they really remind me of how people are in Guerrero. Of the people. I'm from the mountains, and I'll tell you the people there are also very... Even if they don't know you, they say hello. I, I don't know. It's something I keep in my memories. Something like that. Hmm.
0: Yeah, a more village-like atmosphere, right?
2: Yes. Yes. And the... There are small towns there in North Carolina, a short distance from each other, like one with a population of 10,000 here, and then about four miles away, another one with about 5,000 people, another with 3,000, like that, eh? They're small towns, Greensboro, Asheboro. Uh-huh.
0: And, and here we live in a... Uh,
2: and pardon me, I just wanted to conclude with my, well, for me it's an idea, that I related a lot to the people there, who are very friendly. But here, it's the language. Most people speak Spanish here, so it's very comfortable for me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Although many people here have lost it, I mean, they've lost those values. I think it's very important to say hello. But here, a greeting, I mean, nobody says hello. (laughs) On the contrary, many people are very focused on themselves. Greeting others helps a bit to distract ourselves and get back to the reality that we're part of a community.
0: Yeah, It is a struggle, right, to create and sustain a sense of community here in the mega city that is Orange County and Los Angeles and everything. It takes work, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, all right, let's talk a bit about the songs you chose. Does one of them express more strongly for you the idea of your origins, of where you're from?
2: Well, the truth is, I struggled to find something that a song that represented part of my identity. But honestly, I didn't find one. So this is, for example, a poem by Amado Nervo that is a kind of thank you to life.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful poem. I love it. And uh, with your permission, we'll listen to a spoken version. It it does have a bit of music in the background to add to the ambience, I think, to get us into the mood of the poem. And then we'll talk about it a bit. So here is the poem, En Pas... That's At Peace. Artifex bitai, Artifex sui. I bless you, life, as my sunset comes nigh. False hope you never gave me, nor the lie of work or pain without my knowing why. Because I see, here at my rough road's end, that it was I who built it, every bend, When I found honey, or I choked on rue, I'd put them there to find them all anew. Roses I planted bore their flowers true. True, after springtime comes a wintry day. You never said it would be always May. True, the dark seemed endless in my plights. You did not promise only peaceful nights. And gave me others filled with serene lights. I loved, was loved. The sun caressed my face. Life, you owe me nothing. Life, we are at peace. Amado Nervo, his complete name was Amado Ruiz de Nervo Ordas was born in 1870 in Nayarit, Mexico, and died in 1919 in Montevideo, Uruguay. He was a poet, novelist, and essay writer, very productive in a short life. Four novels, 19 books of poetry, five books of short stories, various essays, journalism. He was well-recognized and well-appreciated in his native land. His style is distinctive. It's lyrical, simple, avoiding artifice and complexity. I would say that it is a kind of poetry that is intended for an idea of the popular and the lyrical that was very current among modernists at that time. The poem that Don Apolonio chose was published in 1916 in a book of poems entitled Elevación, Elevation. Elevation. And it's interesting. The poem says, Muy cerca mio caso, a very, very close to my end, to my sunset. The poet himself was only 46 years old when he wrote those words. And he died in 1919, three years later. So, in fact, he was pretty close to his sunset. But I think he had no occasion to know that at that moment. The poem begins with an epigram in Latin. Artifex vitae, artifex sui. That is to say, builder of life or constructor of life, constructor of oneself. And the philosophy that this summarizes is one of radical self sufficiency. I don't see you as someone who is near to the twilight or the sunset of their life, as the author of this poem says he is. But it's a poem that looks back over an entire life, right?
2: I think, since we have to die, day by day, philosophically, of course, leaving behind what has stayed behind and continuing forward, I mean, it's a change, a continuous transformation. I believe that. That's the challenge. I'm a believer in God. I believe God exists, and that, and in part of the Bible, where it talks about Timothy, it says... It says that we have to renew our thoughts and our way of thinking, of seeing. So I think we have to leave behind once and for all the things that really don't serve us, that don't help us to be what we want to be, because we truly know what we want, but we get distracted by things that are maybe superfluous, very... (laughs) yeah, Things that really have no value. And I believe that a little bit of discipline helps us to create those changes to become what we want to be. Uh, we were designed to be excellent and to make those changes that we need to make, that we can just catch a glimpse of, but that we somehow fail to achieve.
0: And starting all over every day, right?
2: Yes. Yes, it's a constant struggle.
0: It's a constant struggle. I agree. Apollonio mentions Timothy from the Bible. I think he's referring to the two books of the New Testament, Timothy 1 and 2. Each one of them is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his disciple, Timothy, and each one it loaded down with advice about how to preach and how to live as a good Christian. I think Apollonia is referring to two passages within those two books of the Bible. The first one would be 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 5, and this is a quote. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? The second one would be in the second book of Timothy, chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, and again, I quote. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from bad ways, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. It's not my habit to cite from the Bible in this podcast, but I do find it really interesting that Apollonio's distinctive philosophy of radical self-sufficiency, a very modern philosophy, a very portable philosophy, a extremely useful philosophy for a migrant, that he takes it all the way back to an ancient text, which is the Bible, and roots it there. I find that very interesting. I note that in the poem, uh, well, okay, it's a poem about gratitude for life and also about acceptance of, uh, well, of the struggles of the of the challenges life presents us with and you have had a life marked by many displacements while searching for stability and and the peace that you deserve and one could interpret that as life being unjust but with this poem and and with the things you've said to me you're expressing another philosophy which is rather to accept what comes and do the best we can am i right
2: yes Completely. And, well, the thoughts that dominate us. I mean, we're part of that. Of the thoughts that we have. And the fact that they dominate us in some way. I'm aware of that now. Fortunately, I'm aware now. Because when people are unaware, it's like, oh, this happened to me. That happened to me. And why? What's the reason? And, well, it's because of me. Because of me. Uh Uh-huh. Well... Part of the consequences due to the way we hold on to our thoughts, and we give them room. We give them, yes, that's the struggle that I, at least, have seen that I need to overcome every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very wise. I I do wonder, however, about the role that protest or resistance might play. Have you ever felt moved to protest, to resist, to, to struggle in another sense, in the sense of social struggle, or or not so much? How does that fit into your life?
2: Let's see. Uh, I'll explain it a bit. Uh, a while ago, this was some time ago, when I was an adolescent, I first heard the saying, if you want to feed a man for day, give him a fish, but if you want to feed him for life, teach him to fish. And that's truly been one of the phrases that has moved me somehow to try and understand it. How, where, why, and when, and so yeah, I've been moved to try to understand it. Although I acknowledge that there was a lapse in my life where I allowed myself to get wrapped up in the system. Unfortunately. But at least I'm aware of it. That the system doesn't want us to be conscious of the situation we're in. It wants us to be hypnotized, lethargic so that we don't make a change, generate a change, arrive at that change.
0: Mm. I really like that saying about giving a fish versus teaching to fish. I do think it's very apt. And it has to do with the supreme value of of teaching, right? Of educating and and teaching one another. And that's how we'll overcome this social hypnosis that we're living under.
2: Yes, I think so. It's a personal type of struggle, but this won't happen until we are aware of it, until we achieve that state of consciousness in which we're pushed to search for more than what we've been living or experiencing, right? And we don't like it, and in some way... But anyway, there we are like this, and we can't get out of it because inertia has a hold of us in its dynamic of, well, of comfort in a certain way, I think. Uh, We know we don't like it, but there we are. (laughs)
0: Well, uh, all right. I, I really admire your philosophy of calm. Having lived a life of multiple migrations and economic instability, which are the results of an international economic instability over, over the last 50 years, all of this, to, to come from a life like that with this sense of calm, tranquility, I hope it's not too much for me to say this, Apollonio, but I really admire it.
2: Well, it is important to me to serve efficiently, I'm a believer, and I believe that Jesus Christ came to teach us to serve. That is the main point of life, of our existence, to serve with efficiency, to be useful from right where you are, where you live, how it develops in that moment, uh, to give the best of yourself, contribute the best of yourself, to be able to make that change. And at least in my own experience, when I see something bad over there, I see, I judge, but I don't realize that the problem lies within myself. So the change has to be generated within me and then extend outward. I always want to see that change there, in front of me. I mean, outside of myself. But I don't have control over what is outside of myself. But I do have control within me.
0: Yes. All change starts from within, right? So in terms of service, who would you like to serve?
2: Well... I'd like to serve whoever would allow me to serve them. Maybe everyone has a level of necessity. And how can I know exactly how I can serve each person in terms of their needs? Uh, but how can I be effective? You have to be very sensitive to understand that. Because everyone has their own needs and their own struggles.
0: Yeah, their their own story, you could say. So in terms of the present moment, what companies or initiatives or groups are you involved with?
2: Well, I'm involved with Thrive. It's a community land trust.
0: hmm hmm Yeah.
2: The problem, or at least the most immediate problem that we have is housing, right? It's the fact that our people, out of necessity, live one on top of the other. They share their space in such a way that leaves them with a very reduced living space, out of the need to save money. And the children are what worry me the most— They're the future of society in this community and they are, unfortunately, the most affected by the reduced spaces they have. They have nowhere to play. This causes stress, poor nutrition, various factors caused by the reduced space they have. And of course, it sets off a chain of problems, right?
0: Yeah, there are challenges within other challenges, right?
2: Yes, yes.
0: Or, Or like a chain, like you said.
2: So I'm involved with the public spaces, with the land trust in some way we present a solution, a small solution to a large problem in our community, which is housing.
0: A Community Land Trust, or CLT, is a nonprofit, community-based agency that stewards land for local needs too often overlooked by market-driven development. Affordable housing, community gardens, open space, urban farms, commercial spaces, and other community assets. CLTs help communities maintain affordability, economic diversity, and local access to essential services. Thrive is the first and only community land trust in Santa Ana. It was founded by local residents and community organizations with 100 years of combined experience in resident-led initiatives. We will publish contact information for Thrive on our website.
2: At least from my point of view, having a space, whether housing or a place to plant a garden, like a park, however it's used, it's that. That's a great and very necessary thing for our community. I'm from over there in the state of Guerrero. And there we say, I'm from there, right? The earth isn't mine. I belong to the earth.
0: Mm. (laughs) Yes.
2: And not the land belongs to me. I belong to her because she's what gives to me, what feeds me. She sustains me. She gives me life. To me, this concept, well, of property, so very often people handle it here like this. They say, I do what I want for my own gain, and I don't care who it affects, right? So... hmm
0: hmm Yeah, it's the opposite of the attitude you just described of belonging to the land. And, well, what a difference, right? But, okay, yes, this fundamental right to have access to one's own space where you can put down roots to grow in, well, I don't think you can avoid the metaphor of plants. <laughs> it, it, it's that. Well,
2: they're a part of it. They're, they're a part of it. How do we harmonize with them? I think it's important because plants also give to us they give us the oxygen we need because we th- synthesize it and everything so they nourish us they heal us everything matters
0: everything everything it's important to explore that and sometimes to talk about it and to struggle infinitely i totally agree so let's move on to the other song you mentioned very it's it's a very interesting selection the blue navajo so when do you listen to this song? What what role does it play in your life?
2: I'll tell you. It goes back to 72. 1972, which was when I heard it the first time. I don't know the lyrics. I, I don't know. Only the sound, the instrumental sound that I heard, and I don't know. I connected with it. Like some place where I'd like to go, where I'd like to be.
0: I don't believe this song has lyrics. It's purely instrumental. And to me, it seems that sometimes uh, instrumental songs paint sort of a mental landscape or an internal landscape, no? Where, where you can walk at ease, but in your mind's eye. Uh,
2: completely. I don't know. It lifts me up and gives me a sense of peace, of tranquility, uh, some kind of experience, eh?
0: Yeah. Well, let's, let's listen to it briefly, then we'll discuss it a bit more. you calm down, you you relax after you listen to it, right? Yes. You know, it strikes me that in these interviews, so I've been doing these interviews for a year now, and you are the first interviewee who has chosen an instrumental track. Everyone chooses songs with lyrics. And so this is the first time I've had the opportunity to talk a bit about music without words and how it serves us in life. It's very interesting. It's that Many people, many of us, relate primarily to words, right? With with that form of meaning that comes through speech and through words. But music has another way as well on top of that. And I don't know. Okay, so let's talk about the blue Navajo or in Navajo Azul.
1: So this song has probably one of the most convoluted histories ever. So the blue navajo right navajo azul i believe in its earliest form version it was a afro-peruvian festejo festejo is a folkloric music from peru with african uh inheritance a product of the colonial era so this music is very specific of peru so we're talking about a music that already has gone out of peru all over latin america now then what happened is a pan flute is uh, essentially an instrument made of many many different tubes put together and you can create different uh pitches by blowing over the tops of the tubes
0: it is a peruvian indigenous instrument isn't it
1: yes i'm not sure where specifically but it is an indigenous instrument i see okay so there's a virtuoso master pan flautist from romania by the name of george zanfir who then
0: Wait, he's he's not Peruvian. He's Romania. Romania.
1: Romania, born in 1941. He's 80 years old. So he found this melody. Somehow, I have no idea. That should be like a side project for Si Yo Fuera to try to contact this guy and just figure that this out. He found this melody and created this version that our guest today is so deeply connected to. This version became extremely popular and, it w- and it's very characteristic of a type of music called New Age, easy listening. That became very popular after 1970. This type of music s- was essentially started by German instrumentalists and composers, some of which were reading books like the Popol Vuh and all of these just, you know, very, very old ancient books and were inspired.
0: So, th- so wait, so, so there, these are... German like musicians, and I'm I'm seeing German hippie musicians is what I'm seeing here. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they're so the Popol Vuh is is the Mayan text, I mean it, it's it has to do with ancient Mayan religion and history, right? And, Correct. Which is why I'm seeing the hippie piece. It was you know very characteristic of late '60s, early '70s that, uh, let's just say, European and Um, US American people were going to indigenous traditions to just try to find a better way through the mess of the world, right?
1: (laughs) Correct. Correct. Okay. And somehow along the way, these same people said huh, you know what? synthesizers might be a good idea. So they just started putting synthesizers all over all of this music and it became this very like, <laughs> you know, soundscape music that people really, really, really identified with even back in Latin America. It came back to Latin America and it became very much this type of music that people like our guests today identify so deeply with because of its calming effects and its relaxation yeah, yeah. Uh, that it gives its listeners.
0: So. I couldn't find anything about this, but were you able to find anything about why it is called the Blue Navajo?
1: I have no idea. I have no idea. Supposedly there's letra, there's lyrics, but they change based on <laughs> where you look. So uh. this, this, this is definitely one of these mysteries that Cio has to like do some, you know, Indiana Jones digging on and, <laughs> and, uh, some original ethnography to get to the bottom of this, 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 this. This is perhaps the most entrancing, fascinating musical excerpt that we've had on the show this far.
0: Do you listen to a lot of instrumental music in general?
2: Yes, a little. I'm addicted to it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What a great addiction to have.
2: (laughs) It helps me to relax. It removes me from the world of problems that exist. I'd like to say that my goal is... I should be the change I want to see in the world and in the community where I am.
0: that's it.
2: It's a challenge, obviously to, like I said, try to look less at what's out there and more at what's in here, what's in me. It's more it's a more personal challenge that I have to generate the real change that I want to see,
0: yeah, yeah,
2: in my short stay on this earth.
0: <laughs> and yes, and and instrumental music helps a lot to. Mm. To paint this current world, but also another one, right? I feel much more present when I listen to instrumental music. Much much more present, but it's like... It's like a presence on another horizon.
2: Yes. It holds another possibility.
0: Yeah. That's it. Oh, lovely. How lovely. And I was just going to say that... This sense of calm that Blue Navajo, the the piece we just heard, brings is, it's a wonderful note on which to end an interview.
2: It was a pleasure to participate with you. And, well, if there's anything I can contribute to improve things, well, I'm here. I'm available to help. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: (laughs) No, thank you. You've given a lot. Your wisdom, your calm... Speaking personally, I feel relaxed with my feet on the ground. I, I I feel this way after spending a lovely hour with you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And well, this is a challenge for you as well. Even, I mean, we're almost the same age. I think we have a lot. A lot, I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of energy. I, I still have many plans for 10, 15, 25 years from now.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: I feel, I don't know. I feel very hopeful that I'll be able to contribute with service to this community, but I'd also like to return to the community where I grew up, where I was born. I feel indebted, in a sense. I hope to be able to return and contribute.
0: Mm. And is that a possibility for you? Do, does your immigration status permit it, or...?
2: Well, some people say to me, you can't go to Mexico to stay. Well, can I go? Yes, I can. But... I can't come back. I see.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I mean, I can go anywhere in the world. I've, I've been a bit of a wanderer. I've been in New York. I've been in Tampa, Florida. I've been in some places where I've had the opportunity to go and have taken advantage of it. I'm satisfied with that. And well, now I think that right now, no place is too far away.
0: Yes, indeed. The world turns out to be quite small.
2: Globalize now, right?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I hope that the opportunity to return to your native land, to the place to which you most belong, I hope it comes to you in a fair and easy way so that you can return and renew the emotional bonds, the bonds of your being, in your lands in Guerrero.
2: Yes. It may be that to many people it isn't very pretty, but it is what it is, and, well, we should beautify it. If it's not very pretty, we have to make it look beautiful.
0: That's right. And with that inspiration, I think we'll live another 50 years.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, more, more than that. (laughs) I'm trying to prepare myself for this body to last me around another 200 years, I'd say.
0: That's right.
2: (laughs) But I have to do my part to preserve it, to exercise it, and to feed it properly.
0: Well, that's excellent advice for our listeners who might be a similar age to us. We have to pay attention to our bodies as we grow older. We have to pay more attention and give them more respect, I think.
2: Especially with what we feed our bodies. We have to give ourselves the nutrients we need. That's the most important thing. Not only what we like, but what our body needs.
0: And I'd say that music is among those essential nutrients.
2: As well. To round it out, yes.
0: It's a nutrient. Exactly. Well, I give you many thanks, Don Apollonio.
2: Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. This is my contribution. Take from me what serves you and throw out whatever doesn't. No worries about that.
0: We can compost the rest.
2: Yes. That's how it is.
0: That's how it is. Okay. Would you like to know more? On our website at cofuera.org, you can find lyrics to the songs we discuss, our blog about the issues of history, culture, and politics that come up around every song, links for listeners who might want to pursue a theme further, and some very cool imagery. You'll also find playlists of all the songs from all the interviews to date, and our special staff-curated playlist as well. We invite your comments or questions. Contact us at our website or participate in the Si Yo Fuera conversation on social media. We're out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And then there's just plain old word of mouth. If you like our show, do please tell your friends and your families to give it a listen. And do please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll bring you a new interview every two weeks on Friday mornings. Julia Alanis, Cynthia Marcel de la Torre, and Wesley McClintock are our sound engineers. Zoe Broussard and Laura Diaz hold down the marketing. David Castaneda is music researcher. Deaneira Garcia and Alex Dolvin make production possible. We are a not-for-profit venture, currently and gratefully funded by the John Paul Simon Guggenheim Foundation. For now, and until the next interview, keep listening to one another, I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, and this is Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. Si yo fuera una canción, sonarían por las calles, las montañas y los valles, mi orgullo y mi pasión. ¿Quién soy yo de corazón? Soy una Soy una onda, una vibración que ronda por el universo vivo Y sonando soy testigo a nuestra unidad más honda